Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the professor, Greg Dooley, and the pundit, Steve Clark. Men, take the mic. That's right. It's another edition of The Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooley and Steve Clark. As always, we're presented by Nick Hopwood, a certified financial planner, founder, and president of Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Greg, Michigan beat Bowling Green 31-6 to last Saturday. I'm slowly recovering from the three-day hangover at that. It wasn't exactly Michigan's best game. No, recovering, and I'll add just so much love from people at the game and for the podcast last week. And thanks, guys. Thanks, Jamie, Rosie, Tyler, all you guys listening. And we got a few things to talk about because, like you said, we have a couple issues. It's a sloppy, sloppy game. Part of that due to J.J. McCarthy. I think it's safe to say he made some poor decisions. He threw for three interceptions. That's a career high. The last one he claimed he didn't throw it out of bounds well enough. In the moment, it looked like he felt he could do anything. So why not? And that was a part of Michigan's problem. Anointed by the professor and the pundit, uh, as we said last <laughs> everybody week. everybody else, too. Yeah, unfortunately, this is on record, but couldn't remember a better, sharper performance by a Michigan quarterback or by opponent in those first two weeks. It looked like he reached a stage of QB enlightenment, and that kind of went out the window. The result didn't hurt us, but people are talking about it this week, and it, it'll be a theme to see how he recovers against Rutgers. One of those moments could have been a fourth interception, ended up being a brilliant catch by Cornelius Johnson on the flea flicker that was indeed well covered. It was awesome, and I'm not worried about like J.J. recovering and bouncing back from this, but he did have several players, including Blake Corum, kind of console and smile and slap him, you know, this don't mean a thing, which were against Bowling Green, and players are deliberately coming over to J.J. and going, hey, we're good. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is one of those things. What they're doing may be right, but time will tell. So if this play continues and they ended up losing games due to mistakes, we'll all go back in hindsight and said, you should have been a lot more serious when we saw this coming. If everything ends up being all right, well, then it's the perfect response to having a bad day, boosting their confidence. It's just funny. You never know who's right until after the facts happen. But it wasn't just the offense. On special teams, the return game coughed it up twice. Michigan had four turnovers in the game overall. I guess the good news, though, was the rushing game looked a little bit better. I mean, the Wolverines got their first 100-yard rusher of the season out of Blake Corum, but there was only three explosion plays. Blake looked good. Donovan had moments where he's doing this thing where he's hesitating before he finds the hole and then zipping through the hole. He did that a few times. So those are the positives. The problems... There were clear breakdowns on their blocking assignments for both of them. Donovan glaring on one, and it wasn't against a Power 5 opponent. And I wonder, did we get enough things to work on over these three games as if we played a Washington like we did recently or somebody like that? If Michigan was a victim of being uber-confident and being lazy, at least it happened against Bowling Green, a team that you could beat anyway as opposed to playing somebody in the Big Ten where that kind of attitude might come back to cost you 
So at least it happened here. Rutgers is coming in. We'll certainly talk about Rutgers coming up in the program. Defensively, right out of the gate, they gave up a 30-yard passing play. They gave up a 33-yard passing play later on in the game. Yeah, and you, and you left out Bowling Green flat out dropped a ball right in the guy's hands, right in the end zone, which they did not later convert. The defense did carry over in the second half. Chris Jenkins with an interception that showed him rushing, but then backing off because he sensed the screen. Ended up being a great play by him and and great pressure by Jalen Harrell to force that play and some other plays as well. But, you know, the thing is, by then, Bowling Green was on their third quarterback. And you could tell Scott Leffer was just running the ball and trying to get out of town because his roster was depleting in front of his eyes. They did a lot of things to this team that we did not expect them to do, but Michigan stepped up. So Leffler in the postgame said that his quarterback, Hayden Timosek, a walk-on transfer from Purdue, didn't take a snap all week. That's the guy who played in the second half. You know why? He was simulating J.J. McCarthy on the scout team. Okay. So he didn't do anything. And Leffler said at times he had to tell the quarterback which receiver he was throwing to out loud. He's going up to the line of scrimmage and he doesn't know the play. And Leffler's telling him where he's got to throw it. So I've never had to do that before, ever in a game. That's wild. I love it. So he simulated J.J. McCarthy, who was 85% efficient. And then when he went in the game, J.J. was struggling. So be like the other J.J. Just be like that. (laughs) Be like the J.J. you practiced this week, right? I thought there was a moment where Bowling Green had momentum, and it was fourth and one, and they decided not to go for it and kick the field goal after taking a timeout. And I was wondering, what is the deal? What do you you have to lose? But these are things that you want to learn in hindsight the days later after the game. Leffler said, 100%, I would definitely would have gone for it, But my quarterback was hurt. He looked at me. We called a timeout, and he went straight to the locker room. New quarterback in on fourth one. They just decided to kick the points and regroup. I understand it a little bit better than I did in the moment on Saturday. Yeah, that's good, Steve, because that's informed. Like, Because I would have just told you without knowing that information, of course they should have gone for it. This is like their season, right? They could make it here, and they didn't. So good stuff, man. The excitement level went up a bit when Orgy came in. I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Um, Is it because of his name or is it because of his potential ability out of the field? Well, I'll tell you, like, I think it's it's mostly the name and it's mostly the RG3 drop when he scored the touchdown. But also, I think some fans know he's on Bruce Feldman's freak list. And I know that from the data they keep, as far as all the metrics, like in Ben Herbert's weight room, I think Orgy is like far and away like the, the most green you know on this chart like a, a, in every area like he's mm-hmm. he is a physical freak you know that excites fans not only the the mystique of the other guy but also just to see what this guy could do so that was fun that was a fun moment you know i do wonder do we lose something from not having the power five opponent does that translate again to rutgers and we'll find out and we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit So if you're not playing a Power 5 program, you're playing the cupcake schedule they've had at the last two years, you still don't really know what you have against a team that can play a good defense or a team that has a competent offense. At the same time, the advantages of having that is that Michigan can play around with their rotations. If they haven't got a position battle figured out yet, you can play them what they call the Michigan method. We'll try one to start one game. We'll try another to start at the second game. You can't do that if you're playing Notre Dame or Texas in the second game of the season. you got to have this figured out beforehand. Of course, the fans would rather see 
highly competitive games at Michigan Stadium, but I think they also want more than a highly competitive game. They want to win. Yeah. Whatever takes us to more wins, which that, might be these three type of games to work stuff out. Th- that's a trump card. And yeah, yeah. winning the game. And then second, <laughs> hey, we'd like to have a good schedule that comes in. So if you had Michigan's wish list, win the game and do it in such dramatic fashion with explosion plays and great defense that we're all very happy. But not against no, Bowling Green. No, that's because it's got to be against good competition. Which brings up the mood. So I track the mood, the temperature of the fan base, the emotional state right after each game. And this is the rare case where after a win, even a dominant win in the net of it, the mood will drop because fans at best right now are either making excuses. Well, we won by four touchdowns or, you know, relativism. Look at the rest of the country. Big team struggled or, hey, we had a lot of guys out, which is absolutely true. It's all true. But no one's feeling better about this team right now than they did going in. Can't argue that. And then the other side of it is it looks like Michigan can be beaten in our regular season if we don't fix a few things. And I think that's where a lot of fans are as, as they reflect on this one. My optimism from where Michigan is at from the beginning of the season to right now is steadily declining. Do I still think Michigan's going to win the Big Ten and go into the playoff? Yes, I do. That's where I'm at at this point. But let's say my level of confidence of those things happening is sliding down a little bit. Yeah, and, and the big question is, was this a blip for J.J.? Was this a blip, or is this something that is going to be a problem. I think it's a blip, but here's some things that we have seen. Like in game two, he was rifling passes, hitting very tight windows. If you think you can get away with doing this, you may not be able to get away with it with a Division One scholarship athlete playing in a Power 5 school. Yeah, so this was a night game. We did have a few effects come into play. The light show, Steve, yes. new lights. What did you think? I, I saw a little bit of it. I liked it. I think from my vantage point in the press box, I didn't get to see it in full effect. It was all right, in my opinion. And it's clear, though, they can do some pretty cool, like dramatic, all the lights off and then this huge like color hit, you know, at one time. And they, you saw a little bit of that. And they do a thing now when they score that the lights go into a certain sequence. It was pretty cool. I think, um, you, I think you and I would like to see an artistic scoreboard operator who knows how to graphically design and size things up and put things up in a particular place. And now I feel like we need like a lighting director guy who's, yeah. you know, it's got some sort of Michigan education that knows how to be creative and show the light in its true beauty and form. Well, let's be honest, Steve. What we want yes. is the September Zeppelin fan laser show from <laughs> the 80s and 90s and, and Rush, right? That's what we want to see. Yeah, I think your point, in, and I think they made some tweaks to the scoreboard, how they're showing some things. So they have the technology. They have the power. They will tweak it and make it cool. So good stuff. What else, man? I had an interesting week. I I actually sat down with Lloyd Carr this week. Very cool, man. Rich Hewlett is a big supporter of type 1 diabetes. And at the golf outing, I was able to bid on, hang out and chill with Lloyd Carr and set it up through Tammy. And it was really cool. We talked history. Oh, we talked about the book Mountaintop, of course, which we've talked about on this show with Mark Snyder and Nick Baumgartner. He signed my copy of the book, which was cool. We talked a little bit about political pundits like pundits like Barb McQuaid, who is an NBC analyst, and he's a big fan of Maureen Dowd, who many people know from the New York Times. And we talked about that, and I almost got him to come in to my coaching class just this week 
because he showed genuine interest in one of my guests, Barb McQuaid, and he wanted to meet her and say hi and all that, and he didn't make it. But it was a really cool conversation. Some people ask me, how's he doing? He's doing great. Obviously, he's older, but we had an awesome conversation about details of the book, about some history of college football, talked about John Heisman a little bit, the old coach that the Heisman Trophy is named after. It was a really cool experience, one that I'll never forget. Awesome. And we met another legend in the press box, Steve Carl Grapentine, who does our intro. Yes. We got to bump into him, and you got to talk to him a little bit. A little bit. Ben Herbert, the strength coach, will be speaking in my leadership class this week. So extremely valuable to the Michigan football team. He's not coach wearing headsets, drawing X's and O's, but the strength and conditioning coordinator can make you and break you as a team. And right now, he's part of the reason why Michigan has that winning attitude that they have right now. Yeah, and it's funny. So you didn't see the TV telecast, but they actually flashed to a guy in the sideline when they were talking about Herbert. It was a bald man like Herbert. It was not Herb. And I think Jake Butts, the guy, goes, there he is, Ben Herbert. And it was not. It was not because I know Herb. And by the way, if you think he's coming in to talk to my class about his formula he uses in the weight room, no. He's talking about leadership, life, leading yourself, things that really drive him. He talks about ego and how damaging it can be. And it's a great, great speech. Also have James Walter Morris coming in to speak to my NIL class as well. So I'm pretty pumped, man. It's cool. I love having these guests, by the way. Anytime someone can bring a perspective, certainly different. And and I think the students love having the, the guests because it's a change of pace. And obviously, they get many of them get to meet some really cool people. So it'll be fun. Oh, one other thing. The softball stadium got dedicated pregame. And I didn't know this was happening. I think it was more of an intimate event for a lot of their former alums. But they dedicated the hutch. They gave... Coach Carol Hutchins a plaque. They did the official dedication. I assume they tied it to a football game just so so many people could be in town. It was like a homecoming for the softball team. But get this, I was asked to speak to all these alums who were in town on Friday of last week to talk about NIL, what it is, kind of educate the former team about what it is, what it's not, how it came to be, what's permissible what the athletic department is doing, what's going on with other teams. It just gave them a little overview of it. That was cool. I tell you, it was interesting, though, because a couple of the former players came up to me, and you got to keep in mind, right, like the softball program in the 80s and 90s and even part of the 2000s is not the softball program today. It was like walk-ons, right, who didn't have scholarships and all these things they have. So to hear about NIL today, given all the other benefits that softball players get, I think for a lot of them, it was like, well, I didn't have anything and I loved it here. And, you know, it was a great experience for me. These players get all this stuff today, many of them scholarships. They get extra money for education through the Alston NCAA court ruling. And now they get, some of them get NIL. I think they were trying to wrap their heads around that, which I which I Interesting. Can understand. So, yeah. so they weren't exactly, not necessarily relating to what was currently going on. I think they get it. But this audience was like, great. But, you know, I was pretty happy here as a walk-on, and we won a couple championships, and we did this and that. The fact that this is here, I think they see it more as a necessary evil, mm-hmm. but not necessarily embracing that this is something we have to do in this program. 
a couple, they were very outspoken. They came up to me afterward. They were polite. Thanks for the words. But I'm just telling you, from my perspective, I struggle with this a little bit. It was good to hear. I mean, does that surprise you that, you know, a softball player from the 80s might go, look, we raked the infield before we practiced because oh, we didn't no. have anything. From the 80s, I, yeah. I would think they would understand. We talked about this before. The older you are, the less you're on board with the changing times of college football, basketball, and the student-athlete. The younger you are, you're, you're embracing it. You can't wait to get it started. There are certain campuses and universities, it doesn't matter how old you are, they're embracing it. Michigan, I think, is struggling to find a foothold between resentment and embracement. As it is, two top 150 players, a pair of twins who are committed to uh, the 2024 Michigan football team playing on the defensive line, they decided to go back on their verbal commitment you're certainly allowed to do that, and decide to play closer at home in Kentucky, to which they said in an ESPN.com article on Saturday that they felt like they had better opportunities in their home state for life beyond football purposes. It was very craftily worded out uh, by the family, but you can just read in between the lines that Kentucky did a better job with NIL than what Michigan did with those two particular yeah. players. Yeah, so, so the irony, of course, is this was a pretty big week for NIL, at least on the surface. And I say that because Sports Illustrated came out with what they call their money issue. With They had three different covers, but one of them was with Blake Corum. And it was written by Michael Rosenberg, friend of mine, controversial figure from the Free Press investigation dating back to the Rich Rod days here. But he gave a very, very rosy, no pun intended, spin <laughs> on NIL at Michigan and basically framed it at Michigan was smart to kind of be slow into the process because now they've created a culture where players are earning the money and it's really boosted the football team and kept Blake Corum here and Michigan's thriving in it. So there's that, which is nice. It's a, it's a nice recruiting tool to say, look, here's a story in Sports Illustrated. This is not exactly someone who's a, a fanboy of the program. It's glowing. And it was. It's, it's a very good article. And, it, of course, Sports Illustrated doesn't have the reach, Steve, when, when we were salivating to get our Wednesday or Thursday, open the mailbox and see who was right. on the cover. Right? Different but it, time. Yeah, but it has sway. It was a very, very cool piece. There was another piece of news, though, that came out. Actually, I broke it, Steve. That Hale Impact, the charitable collective, which we talked about early in this podcast, right, and in season one, it's a charitable collective that was pining to get its 501c3 approval, meaning kind of its authorization from the IRS as a charitable organization. It got it last week. It got the approval to do that. So what does that mean? It means that after the IRS issued this this summer, they issued this warning letter to charitable collectives in general to go, hey, if you think you can just create a charity and give people who donate to your charity a tax deduction and straight up give that money to, to college athletes and call yourself a charity, you can't do that. And you're on notice. And we're coming after you. And anybody who's thinking about doing this, you better not. So I think Hale was the first NIL program to get their approval from the IRS. But I, I have a little insight in kind of how they did it. And originally they were structured, just, just in a nutshell, to give most of their money to the athletes and then a, a smaller portion to the charitable. So let's say they set up a program with the Humane Society of Huron Valley, right? A, a local shelter here for animals and all that adoption. 
if you gave, say, $100, 20 of it might have gone to the, the Humane Society, 80 or 70 of it would have gone to the athletes, right? And I'm using rough numbers. Well, basically, they flipped that, where most of the money goes to the charity and only a small portion goes to the athletes. And the athletes have to do something. That, that was the way they have to work, they have to appear, they have to promote the charity, right, over a certain number of hours. They flipped it. It's a big deal because some people solely have the way the way their money's set up want a tax deduction if they donate. Right. And so so now they can. And and I think comfortably know that this won't change because the letter was issued after the warning that the IRS previously gave. You know, I like the idea of, of Michigan's approach of going into NIL. They're using and saving a, a lot of that money for established players to maybe let them be here for another year. I mean, where would Michigan be without Blake Corum? Yeah. Where would, you know, some of the members of this offensive line be? I mean, the offensive line is deep, but there is room for the established players. Now, that has come somewhat as a sacrifice to the extraordinary amount of money that some universities are offering to players who haven't played it down. And that sounds great, but the thing is you got to be able to get people in the door. And people like Sam Webb, you know, at the Michigan Insider is pounding his fist on the table. You have got to do some of both because you're not going to get the best quarterback out of the state of Michigan since Drew Henson potentially to come to Michigan if you can't compete at some level. You don't necessarily have to be the best, but you can't compete at some level that what Colorado and Alabama or LSU might offer a 18-year-old quarterback going in. So Michigan's got to be able to figure out a way to embrace both methods and it's got to get the community to invest or to give away or to take a tax deduction on that. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get a lot of these talented five-star players. Yes. And you've used the word offer a few times and you cannot offer, okay, you cannot offer an NIL inducement to a player. But what you can show them is, well, look at this enrolled freshman, what he's doing and look at all these opportunities over here and look what we, look what happened to Blake Corum and how we took care of him. You can point to those things. And some of you are going, yeah, sure, Dooley. That's where I'm at. Okay. But but quietly... (laughs) Aren't there conversations? And I, I don't know. I will say this as a warning, though. Michigan's very aware that they have a target on their back. I mean, the NCAA came out with the Harbaugh thing and made a statement that they probably shouldn't have done about this not being a cheeseburger. So if you don't think the NCAA is interested in taking a shot at Michigan and looking for something, they are. And I think all the coaches, in, in, including non-football coaches, know this. So speaking of cheeseburger, we didn't even mention that Jim Harbaugh wasn't on the sidelines this time for this. I do wonder, Sharon Moore was the head coach of record. Do you think at all, just just to get off the the game thing just for a sec, Steve, do you think this hurts Sharon Moore's prospects in any way? 1%, 2%, 3% to be a head coach given this wasn't the most glamorous game in the world? I think there will always be some people out in their home thinking about that. They might bring it up. Yeah, well, here's one time we had a chance. It was a real dud against Bowling Green. Here's the thing. (laughs) <laughs> Give it to me, I, Steve. I, 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 <laughs> first of all, all of the coaches who have been suspended are allowed to be with the team Sunday through Friday. So this isn't Sharon Moore. This is about the players not doing what they were supposed to be doing. Well, they should be coached that way. Yes, they should be coached that way. And every coach were available Sunday through Friday during all of these practices. 
and you can make adjustments during the game. That is what Sharon Moore and every person who is filled in as a coach for Jim Harbaugh while Jim has been gone the first three games, they all have a role in that. Sharon Moore does so much in terms of X's and O's and coaching and recruiting. This guy is valuable, a valuable member, and should be considered to be Jim Harbaugh's replacement, whether Jim leaves next year five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever, he should be a candidate. To say that he should be dinged for the game against Bowling Green, in which the entire coaching staff was present Sunday through Friday leading up to that game, shouldn't be held against him. You're right. Steve's new segment, here's the thing from Steve. You're right, (laughs) but it is in someone's head, and it didn't help him. It didn't help him. Did it hurt him? I, I would hope that people who are in charge aren't short-sighted like that. The ones, you know, the, the athletic directors out there, the chancellors, the trustees, the big-time level-headed boosters aren't the people behind going, well, they, you know, it was only 31-6 to six to Bowling Green. It was an awful game. Therefore, he can't head coach. Yeah. I can't believe those type of people would be making those type of decisions at high levels. No, but, but we, we did look at this suspension as an opportunity to see you know, what would happen if Mike Hart wore the headset and things like that. So I think it's fair to ask a couple questions, but... Well, you asked and I answered. There you go, but (laughs) there you go. But it is kind of an interesting little statistical note that both state Big Ten schools had their coaches suspended this week, including our friends up in East Lansing. If we want to get to the Big Ten, Steve, did you see some of this game? Did you catch some of it? I know it coincided a little bit with the countdown to kickoff. Let me bring up what this looked like if you're a Michigan State fan. This seemed very much like the Minnesota game from last year in which Minnesota completely dominated. Michigan State wasn't expecting that type of game. Michigan State avoided the home embarrassing shutout by scoring in the final minute. By the way, Noah Kim was the quarterback who came in for Peyton Thorne to lead that touchdown drive. You know, the difference is, of course, Washington's the number eight team in the country. They're quarterback by Michael Penix, who's thrown over a thousand career yards in Spartan Stadium. <laughs> but Washington not only scored at will, they did it at light speed. And it was a better light show than what Michigan Stadium had to <laughs> show later on that night. Okay. Steve said it. Washington up 35 to nothing at half, scoring five touchdowns that took no more than five plays with an average time of possession. At one twenty-seven per possession, it's 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 startling. The MSU defense gave up a program record of seven hundred and thirteen yards of total offense. Michael Penix four seventy-three, four touchdowns. Didn't even play a full three quarters. The offensive line couldn't open up a running game. Noah Kim was awful. Twelve of thirty-one, one thirty-six, an interception. He was rattled. He was under pressure constantly, and he was benched because of it because he couldn't cope with it. And again, they avoided the shutout midway through the fourth quarter. Look, it's a bad week for Michigan State. There's a lot of distractions going on. But I also thought this was an opportunity for Michigan State at home to show something and fight. And (laughs) I know Washington's good, but this was a no-show for the Michigan State players this week. I'm stunned had I been a betting person on this game I would have bet on state to rally and do something right in this game and and suck it up I don't think we talked about Sharon Moore I don't think this reflects on Harlan Barnett I just don't think we realized the mess that was the program and you can't think that Mel Tucker 
and the distractions off the field created a huge cultural problem or whatever you want to call it focus in the building and this is bad i mean i'm trying not to overreact steve but you read all the statistics this was really bad and it's not taking anything away from washington but this was this was something beyond that the crowd must have been miserable um, i assume most of them left in by halftime half yeah why would or you stick around went off to drown their sorrows now in a few days they have another opportunity to rebound a home game against Maryland. I don't see Michigan State winning that game at all based on the way that they played on Saturday, but it is an opportunity for those players to once again gather everything together, internalize it, and let it all out on a Saturday. But Talia Tungavailola is a pretty good quarterback in his own right with a good receiving core. It may be a 500-yard offensive performance by Maryland, but that should be enough against Michigan State's offense to win the game comfortably. He's almost a Penix. He almost is. <laughs> he looked pretty good this week. Yeah, I, dude, it was bad, but you're right. They have a chance. And for this reason, though, Steve, I think Michigan State is my team that's eliminated from the Big Ten race this week. And I don't think there's any even a close second choice this week. Their best-case scenario is seems to be to somehow rebound and muster out a bowl, bowl eligibility. And best high case would be go one and two against the big three, Penn State, Michigan, and uh, Ohio State. My team of the week is Ohio State, who came back to play more like Ohio State did in game three. They absolutely obliterated Western Kentucky with a 35-point second quarter to win 63-10. to It was the Ohio State of old. Big scoring plays, a 21-yard touchdown run by Travion Henderson. Marvin Harrison Jr. had a 75-yard TD reception. Chip Trenum had a 40-yard TD run. Uh, Jermaine Matthews with a 58-yard pick six. Tyleek Williams with a fumble return for a touchdown. And Kyle McCord was 19-23 for 318 and three touchdowns. Like J.J. (laughs) <laughs> he turned into Look, JJ in week three, and JJ oh, turned into him. Big scoring, big strikes, defense contributed. So we're eliminating Michigan State, and for one week, we reluctantly say that Ohio State was the team of the week. They have to be, I think. So Big Ten's been interesting. I think the Big Ten's been overall disappointing. I think the net of it in the national spotlight, right? I think other leagues have, have shined a little bit more. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, CFP, from Peak Wealth Management. You probably went to Michigan, and you're probably super smart and successful. But don't reinvent the wheel when it comes to your finances. Work with someone who sponsors the content you love, someone who shares a common interest, a fiduciary. Work with a team of CFPs, the team, the team, the team. Learn more about my team at peakwm.com. Retire with confidence. Go to peakwm.com or call 734-681-7575. That's peakwm.com. We should talk about nationally because the national results for the big teams has come up in kind of defending Michigan, having struggling a little bit because there's that relativism. Hey, look around at the other big programs. So we should talk about that. This was a weird week. There was a lot of big point spreads that didn't even come close. Let's look at Georgia. They were a 27-point favorite and trailed 14-3 to at half to South Carolina. Alabama's tied 3-3 three to three at half to South Florida. They were a 34-point favorite going into that one. So I think Pee Wee's going to have some more questions for Coach Saban this week. <laughs> that was great on Twitter. Which was one of the funniest things. Tell uh, me about it again. Well, you should play the clip. Coach, how are you, sir? 
Well, Pete, we, I've been wanting to talk to you all week, man. I mean, we've got to firm up the pocket. <laughs> we're setting too soft. We're getting pushed back in the middle. All right, everybody thinks we can't hold up against the blitz, but they're sacking us with four-man rush, one three-man rush. Only one sack came off of a pressure, so I wanted to ask you what the hell's going on. <laughs> I believe you covered it all right there, Coach. That from the Crimson Tide Sports Network. So that, so if, you, if you're not following, Saban has a coach's show where people can call in, like at a bar or something, you know, which is great. We don't do that anymore, right? We used to do that with, like, hockey and all that. But on the line is Pee Wee, right? <laughs> Call Coach Saban, and that's what he says to Pee-wee before Pee-wee could even get his question off, I believe, which was the most amazing thing. Plus, props to Saban for that that deadpan delivery of that line and breakdown, and of course, all the problems that is on everyone's mind, which was which was brilliant. So Alabama might be looking like a three-loss regular season team, which just hasn't happened in a very very long time so jokes aside Pee Wee had a point that but we just never heard it <laughs> no well there's, i think there's a lot of people that are concerned in alabama the way that again they went into usf and kind of laid an egg yeah but it wasn't just alabama though right no 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 we, we talked about georgia earlier but florida state was a 25 and a half point favorite they won by two and got by due to a series of unfortunate events again you lose by two boston college misses an extra point they try to make up for it by going for two on another touchdown. That, of course, failed. Texas was tied at 10 with Wyoming after three quarters. Texas was a 31-point favorite. Of course, the game of the week. Once again, it is Colorado needing double overtime to beat Colorado State. That was a 23-point spread, Greg. And the primetime family legend once again grew in this game. Early on, it was a pick six by Shiloh Sanders and a 98-yard final drive with two minutes to go in the game, led by Shadur Sanders, who then had to not only score the touchdown, but to get the two-point conversion. Before that, Colorado went eight straight possessions without scoring a touchdown. So there were people already leaving Folsom Field thinking it was over. But they led the team to victory. All uh, those hippies leaving Folsom Field, right? Yeah. Come back, you hippies. We're, we're not done yet. Colorado State nearly had 200 yards in penalties in that game. There had only been six other times this century where a team had more penalized yards than Colorado State did this past Saturday. One was a late hit on Travis Hunter. And Hunter is expected to be out for a few weeks. They're playing Oregon next Saturday. They're certainly going to need him. And as Shadur Sanders says, when you lose a guy like Travis Hunter, you're losing a starter on offense and you're losing yeah. a starter on defense. Yeah, if you don't know, yeah, he plays both ways. Like, not not like Charles Woodson. Like, he plays every down, basically. And he's good? Yeah, yeah he's good. I saw that hit, Steve. And and look, and of course, we've, we had some really serious incidents at Michigan Stadium with injuries, so I don't take lightly on any of this stuff. I saw the hit. It was definitely a flag, but it just shows you that, like, I think if you have that hit in the 80s and even in the 90s, if you look at some of that, like, 97 Ohio State game and the Penn State game, for that matter, some of those hits are just, that's football. And, no, he he hit them late, and, of course, you look at the aftermath, and we shouldn't do that. It's just, to me, it shows you how sentiments have changed around a lot of this stuff, probably for the better, right? That was my first reaction. 
you can go back and see the number of hits after the ball has sailed over somebody's head. I still think it happens today. You see that balls that go over the head of a player, it allows a free shot for the defensive guy to come right afterwards and take somebody out. It's hardly ever a penalty. In this particular game, he was already being defended by one guy, and then there was this third guy who came in. You know, it's like in wrestling, the manager came in with a guitar and, and unloaded <laughs> the guitar. It unloaded in a vulnerable area. Yeah. Well, speaking of wrestling, The Rock was at game day. So um, it was amazing. I, I just, there's something about it, man. I don't know what it's about wrestling, but. So electricity in the air. The, the theme music, like they have their walk up and their little. They're a little music that announces that they're there, right? And yep. they did. Can you smell? Yeah, it, it was pretty cool. What the rock is cooking? I got to say, it was pretty cool. And it <laughs> looks like uh, Primetime was surprised. He took uh, his hat off, ironically. Yeah, and I'm, Jay Norvell. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think, I think with The Rock, and maybe that's just my cynicism that comes in, very great at marketing. You could Dion and The Rock, very, very good at oh, marketing yeah. themselves. He couldn't be just the celebrity picker. He had to be in multiple segments. And it makes you wonder, it's like, did they approach you? We would like you to do multiple segments. Or The Rock says, look, if I'm coming to pick games, I want stuff going on in the second hour, in the third hour. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Like, it's his rider. It's in his rider, right? His list of demands, if I'm going to make an appearance. I want to hit Lee Corso with a guitar, as you said, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) He did do a tribute to Lee Corso at game day. Yeah. To which I thought, is this it? It It's like, are they they saying goodbye in the next week or two? And they kind of said, hey, well, on to 500. To which Corso said, I'm not going to make it. Yes, it's been on so long, right? They have these little milestones. One of them, which is the Washington State flag's been flying for, you know, nearly Mm -hmm. 300 games in a row. And this was Lee Corso's 300th. 400th. 400th. Okay, headgear. And of course, they do a little montage of the headgear, including the last time they were in boulder which was the michigan game and he put on a little the little fedora the little michigan yes. fedora <laughs> i don't know i think these things are kind of tired even as even as a historian but them kind of celebrating themselves is kind of weird to me whatever oh espn um, does nothing better than to celebrate themselves oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what they're great. best at Greg, cele- it, this oh. should have been our lead segment of us taking taking down espn hey when i was younger i was all into it yeah, I, oh, I was all on. about ESPN celebrating oh themselves. Are you no. kidding? We used to track Chris Berman's little nicknames for all the baseball players. You know what? What does that mean? We didn't know what some of them meant, but you know, we thought it was great. We it was such a part of our culture, Steve. Sports Center, ESPN, all their little shows, their personalities. What was the show with Mitch Album on Sunday? I even forgot. The sports reporters you had to watch the sports reporters. It was really, it's really what the modern format is. But it was the only one that really did that, where you just, it was an opinion show. You had to watch it, right? Greg, I, I got to go to the confessional now. Okay, okay. On the air, public confession. You know, there are some moments that I replay in my life, and I see them in my head, and visibly, I'm swearing, or audibly, I'm swearing. And most of the time that happens alone, occasionally my family's like, what did you just say? And it's like, nothing, I just had a memory. One of those memories involved me meeting Dick Shap. And I was, uh, I think I was at a Pistons game and Dick Shap was there and I was telling him about the sports reporters and I mentioned something about Lupica because I didn't like him at all. And I said something about it and I just remember afterwards replaying that in my head, why did you say that? At all. (laughs) Like, one, 
It was you told Dick Schaap that you did not like Mike No, Williams it was fight. worse. Okay. It was worse than that. It was sort of like a directive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was sort of like... Listen, I'm in, the, I'm in the business. And here, you got to get rid of this here, guy. <laughs> here is, he must have been thinking, who is this little snot telling me what to do with my show? And when I replay that in my head, 25 years after the fact, maybe even 30 years after the fact, I cringe. All right. I cringe at myself. All right. After the show, Steve, we're going to write that memory in a little note, and we're going to blow up a balloon, and we're going <laughs> to let it go symbolically or burn it right in a candle. I, let it go. I've right. got a few dozen of those <laughs> okay. moments in my life that I need to let go, but I can't. All right. Um, what else? It's homecoming. We got Rutgers. What do you call this? A test? Both teams are undefeated. Shiano's not playing around. He thinks this is a real football program. I know we like to joke about Rutgers. They're kind of showing it. They look pretty good. I haven't done a no, ton of time. Nobody jokes more about Rutgers than I do. Rutgers is a different program now. Their offense is no longer an incompetent joke. They are not a dumpster fire anymore like they used to be. This is Rutgers' 10th year in the Big Ten, and for most of those years, it has been fun to watch how futile they are on offense. Watch them against a top-10 team, and they won't score any points, lose by 60, and have 100 yards of total offense. They were playing like one of the 10 worst teams in college football for a multiple-year period. Now, Rutgers may be vastly improved from what they have been, but you can only go so far in the Big Ten East. Mike Loxley is improving Maryland. Greg Schiano is improving Rutgers in a division that has Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State in it. Not necessarily in that order. But this is a physical football team with a defense that will sacrifice yards for the opportunity to strip the football. And last week against Virginia Tech, Rutgers forced a fumble on the second play from scrimmage and then immediately got a 19-yard touchdown run by Kyle Manungai. Greg, Kyle Manungai is the Big Ten leading rusher right now after three weeks. Named the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week, and the first Scarlet Knight to do so in nine years. Defensively, the secondary is pretty good with Max Melton and Ryan Longerbeam. They're very underrated. Avery Young at safety. And Mohamed Touré is picking up where he left off. He missed all of 2022, but led the team in sacks in 2020 and 2021. So they're pretty stout up front. They play pretty physical. So my plans to sneak to Oscars at halftime and get ready for the postgame show, I want to put those on hold for next week. Maybe, but Rutgers is playing like a second-half football team. Now, this is in contrast to what... Michigan did in Piscataway last year, where Rutgers had the lead at halftime, and then their quarterback threw three third-quarter interceptions, and Michigan scored, I think, the final 38 points, or the only 38 points in the second half. They win 52-17. to But Gavin Wimsett is now in his third year, and he is maturing. As I said, he had the three picks in the third quarter in last year's game. He hasn't turned the ball over yet. Okay in those games. And where Michigan has not covered any of the games that they've played in, Rutgers has obliterated the spread in all three of their games. In the first game, they were a five-point favorite. They won by 17. In game two, they were a seven-and-a-half-point favorite and won by 29. And they were a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Virginia Tech and won by 19. 
So does that mean Rutgers is beating Michigan? No, it doesn't mean Rutgers is beating Michigan. But for those that say that was almost Michigan's whoops game in 2021, down by half in 2022, leaving for Oscars early may not be a great idea. This could be an issue if Michigan played like they did last Saturday against Bowling Green. I'll say it. If they play like they played against Bowling Green, this is game goes into the fourth quarter. It'll be interesting. That was kind of a kick in the giblet, Steve, but maybe this is what we need right now. You know, is a, is a, is a team like this to come into town? It's also homecoming, which I think is cool. Do you care about homecoming? At Michigan, is it fun to see the, the old cheerleaders and the old sweaters come out there to you? Who is like the 80-year-old cheerleader who's out in the south end zone? Yeah, I don't know his name. I, I've talked about him on Victors, and I can look it up, but dude... Fantastic. That was a guy, growing up as a teenager, watching him do his thing. I was impressed. Yeah. This guy's, you know, he had the crying towel, and he was like, I say he was a clown in a good way. He was a clown without makeup, being a cheerleader. He was a good clown. <laughs> not a creepy clown. <laughs> not an evil clown. No. Which is a big thing right now. No. Not a pervert clown. No. A good clown. Like, he makes me happy. Like, I'm a clown, I amuse you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got you. I dig it. You know, Michigan. Actually, we ripped on Illinois last week pretty hard. If you if you didn't lean into that brutal takedown of our our buddies from Champaign, but they actually claim to have started the homecoming tradition as we know it today. There are other schools that do too. I think Missouri does. Michigan does not. This is like one thing in the Big Ten that where Michigan really wasn't on the forefront. We didn't start doing homecoming until like the early 1920s, I think 1921. But, you know, Illinois had been doing it for a while. Greg, I love how you laughed. In fact, it, it seemed like this is the one thing that Michigan isn't taking credit for inventing. <laughs> well, thanks. Listen to us. <laughs> yes. But, uh, by, by the way, I love to say this. History is written by the victors. Okay. And pun intended, like wing and helmet, um, a lot of other things that were probably created that Michigan just did better, including winning football games. <laughs> we didn't invent football, but we invented the win. You know, yeah. that, uh, Michigan claims that. So Rutgers claims they played the first football game in 1879. Michigan's still checking on that. But uh, Michigan alumni will be coming back by the thousands this week. Yeah, it's cool. You know, there's a lot of cool things that will happen during the day. We're going to talk about it in my class this week. You know, what does it mean to the students? Many of them have parents who went to Michigan or other big schools. What does it mean to their parents? What traditions, you know, do they like to see? And we may even have a surprise guest from the Men's Glee Club come in and do their rendition of Varsity and the Victors and a couple other songs that they do. So that should be fun in the class. So we'll see, man. I'm looking forward to the game, though, the actual game, though, now, based on, Steve, your, your analysis of Rutgers. Michigan gets into conference play against Rutgers. Maybe they'll cover a game, not that it's important to cover a game. And you'll do your midweek peak, which I assume will have a little bit on this past game, but also your preview of Rutgers. And folks can hear you on the Key Bait Countdown to kickoff um, locally on W4 Country, 102.9, 10.50 a.m., and also iHeartRadio or anywhere you can get streaming. It'll be on there. So, And, of course, my segment, This Week in Michigan Football History, I haven't recorded it yet between us girls. So I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but that'll air <laughs> two hours before kickoff, which is a noon game, by the way. Do you prefer for Rutgers? Is this a better? I prefer 3.30, not night, but... 
Are you good with the morning? Uh, uh, yeah, I got to get out there. I'll be there at 7 a.m. No, it doesn't bother me because once the day starts, I'm great with it. So okay, and then I can come home and watch a bunch of good football games that are coming up on tap. And there's a lot of a lot of good games. Ohio State, Notre Dame, yeah. Iowa at Penn State, Florida State at Clemson, Ole Miss in Alabama, and the rest, as you say, and the rest are here on Gilligan's Isle. <laughs> That's for the cutting room floor. That will go in the outtakes, can I say? Like, that's not the whole song. That was the short version of the song. Like, they right. used to go through the whole yes. list of people. Of course, it was Millionaire and his wife. Like, she has a name. It's Lovey, okay? Isn't that what it was? Millionaire and his wife. I think the original song skipped The Professor and the Marianne. And then later I on, changed right. to do the individuals. It did. Okay, so the original song, but there, there was. And the rest, like, excuse me, like their agents, the rest. There were seven of them. <laughs> and the rest was the remaining two that we didn't name. <laughs> okay. And the rest. <laughs> it didn't work in the song. No, oh, was... my God. You, so you count Lovey as someone who's counted? Yeah. Okay. Because, See, I don't. Because, well, I because... Think, I think the wife is in the rest. Nope. Because she had her face... They, they put her face in the circle. Ah. And then, and then the fifth... <laughs> the ship's wheel. ...was uh, the movie star. The movie star. Okay. And then they would go, and, and the, the rest. rest the which is it was just the professor and the Marianne. It's just, yeah, that's just two they more names. Yeah, professor and Marianne, which is only slightly right. longer than right. and the rest. Whoever performed that is like a folk singer or something. I forget. Like, that could be that could be wrong. You know how there's episodes of a lot of these shows they can't show anymore? <laughs> there are a few of those, like with Gilgan's Island, about, like, there was a Japanese uh, guy from the war who was still on the island. That yeah, they found I remember that episode. S- like this you can't, whole, fi- you can't find it anymore? Unbelievably offensive like depiction of a Japanese person. <laughs> like, so horrible, right? There's like stuff. <laughs> it was a pretty great show, though. I love that every time they turn on the radio, it was some business update. Now for the big news on Wall Street today. Like, where in the world is Thurston Howell III? Because they just discovered oil on one of his properties, and now he's worth a trillion dollars. You know? Thurston Howell has done it again. A huge oil strike has been reported on the Howell Holdings in Dust Bowl, Oklahoma. That's great. <laughs> but it is Michigan Rutgers. Conference play is beginning. But in case anybody's forgotten, Greg, Michigan is the back-to-back Big Ten champions, despite what you saw from Bowling Green. Go blue, Greg. Go blue. Where is Thurston Howell? Thurston Howell.